0: This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. All right, good morning. Turn to your neighbor and say happy Valentine's Day, my love. Today is Valentine's Day, so I'm going to challenge you. If you should choose to accept the challenge, I would like for you, before you leave the building today, to give someone a hug. Oh, oh thanks, I got one. Doesn't have to be me, although I'm accepting hugs today as well. Um, but you know, hugs are uh, hugs are are healthy yeah hugs are good yeah so um, and if somebody doesn't give you a hug what are you responsible to do give them a hug yes all right keep your hands above the waist keep it clean people we're at school a frame what does that mean Oh, you don't touch except at the top. Nobody ever taught me that. i give you a full-on squeeze. <laughs> All right. Back when, uh, in 19, uh, let's see, 1999 or so, uh, I was in a Kiwanis club for several years that met at 7 o'clock in the morning on a Thursday. And I struggled to get there on time. And they asked me if I would be good greeter. which meant I had to be there earlier than that and so I uh I took them up on the challenge because I thought that would incentivize me to get there on time right well what they didn't tell me was that part of their deal was that everybody that comes gets a hug now mind you the club was made up of about 95 percent men retired mostly and then me so it was a lot of fun on Thursday mornings at the Juana Club. Some of them lifted me up in the air and spun me around. Some of them wouldn't hug me at all because they said their wives would get upset. So it was a lot of fun. I love that group. I still great friends with many of them. So, good morning. My name is Nikki Buckaloo And Chris had told me I had to kill a little bit of time because we had a line of people getting in. So that was your, your morning uh, humor, I guess, if you will. Ah, okay so the topic for today truth about wills trusts and guardianships right so our sponsors in the back of the room I want to make sure and point out that many of our sponsors even if they're not in the business of trust wills and guardianships have brought with them articles and educational pieces about the topic so when you leave today feel free to just to go down the line there and pick up any pieces that make sense because isn't it interesting depending on your people pick articles based on their perspective like our particular article is based on real estate because that's our area of expertise so why would will a guardianship or a trust have any validity to a real estate agent well there's a lot of things that relate to real property right so ours is from that perspective Um, Somebody else's might be from the healthcare perspective. Um, So think about that as you pick up those articles. A little bit of it will be overlap, but a lot of it may be absolutely, totally something you haven't thought about, okay? Um, So we want to appreciate our sponsors for doing this. How many of you people uh, or people in the audience are brand new, first time here to the Senior Living Truth Series? Raise your hand. All right. Wow, a bunch. Give them a hand. Wow. A lot of new people. So, um, So thank you for being here. Uh, A couple of quick housekeeping announcements for those of you who are new, Um, I'm going to be doing a a panel presentation today. I'm going to ask our panel some questions. Um, We're going to flesh out a lot of things, and then we're going to open it up for Q&A. And so write down all of the questions you have on the notepad there in front of you, and whenever we get to the Q&A part, we'll ask for hands, and we'll just kind of take several questions until we run out of time. If we run out of time before your question is, is asked and answered, you're welcome to come up. They'll hang out for a little bit after the panel, and you can come up and talk to them one-on-one. Um, also on your chair, you have a uh, handout that Arbus provided for us today. Uh, Curtis will be on the panel. The handout is some definitions that you're going to want to take home and read. Okay, they're going to talk about a lot of this stuff today. And so they thought and I thought it would be nice to have something to reference. And what is a power of attorney, what is a trust, what is a will, etc. You also have an evaluation form on your chair, and we really appreciate you evaluating the seminar, telling us what you took away from it, and then if you wanna pre-register for next month's seminar, you can circle at the bottom that you wanna be registered for next month, and we'll make sure to do that. Be sure if you do say you wanna be registered, you fill out the bottom so we know who you are. Otherwise, you don't have to fill out the bottom if you if you don't want to. Okay. Um, it's Valentine's Day. My husband bought me roses. Oh, isn't that sweet? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, who here? Oh gosh, Chris. I got a little bit of feedback on my mic. Um, if uh, I tell you what, uh, Matt, can you grab? My guy from Princess Tuttle or Chris, and let them know I'm just getting a little bit of feedback and see what they can do about that for me. Uh, sometimes it's my mic interacting with a uh, ear hearing aid. <laughs> Interestingly enough, they communicate. Right. So, so what I like to do today is I'm going to give somebody a rose today. So, who would like to nominate somebody for the rose today? Who thinks it's, it's today? Does anybody have a birthday today? Okay, Monday. Monday doesn't count if there's somebody with one today. All right. All right, so there. Say happy birthday. All right. Give her a hand. Come on, people. Uh, and we'll probably give out a few more today, too. And then the rest of them are going to go to my six-year-old granddaughter. Right. Okay. Um, I also brought one thing, one prop, and then I'm going to bring my panel and stuff. I brought a prop anybody recognize what this is.
1: <laughs>
0: it's a trust document. It says estate planning portfolio. This is Chris and I, uh, and this is our trust and our will and our durable power of attorney. And our yeah, that is much better. Thank you, Matt. And so um, I brought this because I wanted you guys to realize that we practice what we preach. That we're not up here just spouting out what we think you should do or. Consider doing but that we actually learn each and every day that this isn't about age this is about being a human being and being alive and so um, this is something that steve uh, who's one of our panelists today uh, created for us and uh, and helped us create i should put uh, should say and then printed out and provided us with this fun fun binder um how many of you have one of those or something like that A trust. Right. By okay, great. So pretty good percentage of the room. How many of you have? How many of you know where it is? <coughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Steve, that's a good percentage, right? Yeah, that's good. Okay. So I had a few people in the audience tell me that they haven't looked at theirs in a long time, and that some things have changed. And so we're going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about wills and and why that's important. And we're going to talk about guardianship. Guardianships is a new topic that we've not really talked about in the truth series before. Last time we did this topic, we talked about probate, but we did not talk about guardianship. So I have a gentleman here that's going to be talking, uh, speaking to that topic as well. And so we're ready to bring our panelists up and get rolling? All right, so welcome our panelists. Come on up, guys. (laughs) Put my glasses on so I can see my tiny writing here. And Steve, I'm going to be in the middle. Yep, perfect. Yes. Sure. Uh, Steve is bald. You guys have hair. <laughs> That's how <we're...
2: laughs>
0: Is that what the symmetry you meant, or did you mean height? Height. Oh, okay. Thanks,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, You will be nothing if not entertained today, I promise you. I promise you. So... Um, You think you're hilarious? Yeah. Uh, I I will tell you, these guys uh, are some of my favorite people, and I'll tell you why. First of all, they're smart, very smart people. Um, Second of all, they're very giving. And so they're giving of their time today, and you're going to get a lot of information that's free today that you would have had to pay thousands of dollars to get otherwise. Okay. And so um, I want to appreciate them for that. The other thing they are is very genuine. And at the Truth Series, those of you who are new, we speak the truth. There's no sugar-coating it, there's no dancing around it. It is what it is and we're just gonna say it. Sometimes they dance and I tell them to stop and they have to just blurt it out, okay? Because we're so used to having to make things palatable for people, right? When we go into meetings and things. So today you may hear people say some things just really bluntly, you may not like them. You may not wanna hear them. They may be about death and dying. They may be about um, staying in control of your life, that kind of thing. So we're all in agreement that we're just gonna say it like it is, right? yeah and, and Curtis says I might have to be reminded because sometimes when you worked in corporate America for a long time what happened
1: you learned to dance,
0: you learn to dance. <laughs> right and when you're self-employed like I am for so long you've never had to dance and so you even know what that looks like <coughs> all right you ready all right so let's start with you Curtis tell them who you are what you do and what your area of expertise is
2: uh my name is Curtis Kane I'm a trust officer with best Bank we have an area we call uh, trust and wealth management so I work in administration of, of trust and estates and investment management. Kids. No, no, no,
0: you need to be a rock star. Alright, really let's start, start, again. start uh, again. Curtis Cannon with Arvest
2: Bank. We have a trust area that we refer to as Arvest Trust and Wealth Management. Uh, I'm a trust officer there. I've done it. I've uh, been with Arvest going on 13 years. I've been in this industry about 25. Um, my area of expertise is, is trust administration, estate planning, investment management, um, and all things associated with that. But I've got on everything.
3: Yes. Yes, he does. All right, Steve. My name is Steve Cortez, and I have the Cortez Law Firm here in Oklahoma City. And we do estate planning, probates, um, all that good stuff. And uh, I've been doing uh, estate planning and probates probably about 15, 16 years now. <laughs> and I've had my own law firm now for five years
0: yeah and so steve um when you when you say estate planning um give me an idea what's the breadth of that like do you also handle probates and all those kind of things
3: too yeah so when unfortunately uh, a lot of the people that i met with 15 16 years ago are passing away and so now we're doing their probates and uh but the estate planning involves and we i'm sure we'll be getting into it yeah. i mean it involves several documents not just the the revocable trust, but pour-over wills, power of attorneys, healthcare power of attorneys, uh, advanced directives, which sometimes are called uh, living wills, uh, yeah, it's all on this really nice, actually I'm going to steal this, Curtis put together.
0: Just put your picture on it. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um,
3: and, and then we do probates, uh, and we also do, uh, I guess, trust administration uh, as well for some of our smaller smaller clients, and the bigger ones, uh, Curtis had. Awesome.
0: All right, thank you. John?
4: My name is John Branscombe. I have a company called Guardian Angel Elder Care Services, and I am a professional guardian. Yay.
0: John, I know know it's a long story, but I want you to give me the abbreviated version of how you became a professional guardian. Because I think it's pertinent to, this isn't something you woke up one day and went, wow, I bet there's a lot of money in this. So I'm going to be a professional guardian. Just give them
4: the short version of how you became. Short version is, I grew up with a paranoid, schizophrenic grandmother. And before I was 10 years old, my dad was appointed his mother's guardian. And so from 10 on, and I'm 65 now, I've been around guardianships. And I remember dad coming home and doing annual reports, which are required in a guardianship. And he'd say, the judge said, sign checks this way, not that way. Do this this way, not that way. And I didn't realize that I was in training. But in 78, 1978, I met a man, I was going to business college, learning accounting, and I met a man who had called in and he'd been in that, through that same business college right after World War II. He said, I'm getting that along up in years, tired tires chasing these investments I got, send out one of your better accounting students to help me keep track of all this stuff. And I was the guy they sent. We were together 21 years before he passed away in 1999. In the 80s, they started talking about all the baby boomers are going to start retiring and it's going to stress out Social Security and all this kind of stuff. But there's a need out there to keep people safe, to keep their assets safe. So you want to boil what I do down to a bottom line? One sentence, few words? I get between the greedy and the goodies. There <laughs> you He
0: said, I get between the greedy and the goodies. He's an advocate. He helps protect people's interests. Helps them manage their affairs when they can no longer do that, and sometimes that's court appointed, and sometimes that's
1: <coughs>
0: guard, guardian is always court appointed. So we have three different folks up here with very similar knowledge base, right? But they come from this topic, uh, come to this topic from different perspectives, all right? So what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through a series of myths and truths, and we're gonna speak to each one of them. You don't have a copy of these in front of you, so just listen. Don't take copious notes, because the ones that matter will stick with you, and you can write them on your little notepad there. So the first one we're gonna talk about is, a will is all I need to handle my personal affairs. So if I have a will, my end of life planning is complete. I actually, it's, well that's why it's a myth, right? So you guys—you can say that, that's false. I actually, did a, a, a Siri told me this morning via Google, I talk with her frequently these days. Siri, via Google, told me that only about 44% of all Americans have a will. Does that sound about right? Yeah? Well, Siri's always right. All
2: right. 100% of adult Americans have an estate plan.
0: Yeah, so what is it if they don't have a will? It's called the rules of intestacy
2: in whatever state you live in, and that's a fallback that you don't want to fall back
0: on. Okay, so what happens if someone doesn't have a will and they pass on? If you, Hold that closer uh, okay. what happens?
3: Uh, so if you don't have a will then Oklahoma laws of intestis- intest- yes. Yes. intestacy <laughs> uh, are the ones that govern and uh, it kind of depends on what your situation is so if, and I, I should have brought it with me but if you're if you were married uh, and you had kids together and you don't and you don't have a will then and whatever was from the joint, like marital property, joint property, um, I think the wife gets gonna half, and then the kids, with the other half. So if you don't have a will, and you think your wife or your husband is gonna get everything, um, that's just simply not true. Uh, they're only gonna get half of your joint industry, of the things you guys get together. Um, the problem I see a lot is, uh, sometimes during second marriages, um, where there's a lot of property that uh, one of the spouses brought into the marriage, okay, in that case, uh, the wife might only get a third of the property and the kids will get the other two thirds or she'll get a third. Uh, I think there's another scenario where everybody, there's five, there's the wife and four kids, then it gets split five ways. So you know, if you think your spouse is gonna be covered, uh, they're not.
2: Is
0: a formula
3: let's right. just say that's not a
2: good plan and right. if you're fortunate enough to have your beloved sitting next to you look at them right now and say we're gonna fix that because you yeah. don't want that to be your you know you don't want a state provided estate plan you need to you need to mobilize and get that done so properly. let's assume
0: they do Curtis so this myth says that once they've done a will their estate planning is complete and there were a handful of people that said oh no 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 so uh, the truth you guys gave me was that a will provides instructions for handling your affairs after your death, but that it doesn't address your affairs when you live, and you might possibly be incapacitated or have a significant disability. So. Yeah,
2: a will only comes, into, only comes into play when you die. Um, so it doesn't make provisions if you're incapacitated, if you have a stroke, if you become uh, mentally infirm. Uh, there's a lot of things that need to be able to, to continue on your behalf, um, that can be tackled by way of other documents beyond when Steve talks about a you know, will is not the only thing you walk away from when, when you work with a good estate planning attorney but there are other documents including power of attorneys medical powers things of that sort uh, living wills which is a, a definition on here um, those are things that give you the chance to express your wishes in the event there's you're not able to verbalize them you know, <laughs> in, in, in the case of a malady, whether it's cognitive impairment, things of that sort.
0: So let me go to the next one then, because that kind of alludes to what you just talked about. So it's, all my affairs can be handled both before and after death with a durable power of attorney. So I have a will, and so now I go get a power of attorney. That should take care of everything, right? Uh,
3: well, no, <laughs> because a, a durable, and I, and I actually, the last the time we all spoke here, um, I was really surprised that many people in the audience didn't know that, and so I've actually been trying to let people know and make this part of what I talk to my clients about, But your power of attorney dies when you die. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think that that power of attorney is good now while they're living and after they pass away.
0: But what's the reality? So what happens when they die, and if if my dad passes away, I have a power of attorney for him, and I can handle his affairs if he should need me to, but if, if he passes away, how do I go handle stuff at his bank? You
1: have
3: to go to court.
0: Okay, so I don't have any other option at that because the power of attorney is right. null and void Correct. upon his death. Right,
3: and either either way, you're going to have to go to a probate court and have a probate. There.
0: Either way, okay. So now that takes me to my next myth, which is it's cheaper to create a will than it is to create a trust. Now, we haven't really talked about what a trust is yet, so would you guys want to define what a trust is and then tell me why somebody would do that since it's really cheaper to create a will?
3: Okay. Um, A trust, what we do um, most of the time is what's called a revocable living trust. And that is just simply a document. Basically, we are creating an entity for you to put all of your stuff into it, all of your assets. And your house, anything that has a title, goes into the name of the trust. Um, and then what's nice about that is that while you're living, um, you just continue your life. Um, your life incorporated, I like to say. You continue everything that you're doing on a normal basis. Um, but if you were to become incapacitated during your lifetime, whoever you name as your successor trustee uh, for your, while you're alive takes over, and they can just seamlessly continue you incorporated. you know, Paying your bills. Uh, car titles, all all that good stuff. Um, And then when you pass away, um, your successor trustee just continues. (laughs) So it's a really easy process. It's just seamless um, where you're not having to go down to the courthouse uh, and spend maybe three to nine months to two years having to probate your assets.
0: And they're paying somebody to do that, right? And they're paying
3: somebody to do that, right.
0: Okay. yeah Here, and that sort
2: of- here's what a trust is not and it's really kind of defining probate probate is not a place it's not an event as much as a process <laughs> probate is the process of taking a decedent's property and conveying it to someone else <laughs> and they, if you do your own will you can define who that is but but there's a process that is time consuming costly public and not very effective from a cost perspective because it is it is dependent. It is in Oklahoma, in particular, it is court dependent, and it's also anytime you're going to the courtroom, you're going to have an attorney engaged to do that. It's not something. It's not a, a self-service process by any means. They don't need
0: you to do that DIY at Home Depot.
2: I wouldn't. I've been doing this 25 years. I wouldn't try to probate my own estate, um, and I'm not going to have a probate estate. So. Um,
0: so can I can I ask if I could create a metaphor? And you guys, tell me if this is accurate, okay? So this is not Nikki Buffalo, this is, and not Chris Buffalo. it's Blue Water Trust, okay? And, and Steve created this entity, and we took everything we owned and had, and we decided this entity now owns it, right? Correct. And there are people, Chris and I right now, who have the ability to do everything for this entity that needs to be done. But if something should happen to one or both of us, I am entrusting my friend Beverly, and Beverly, I'm giving you my life, and you're now in charge of helping manage that because you've agreed to that in advance, and it's all in the documents, right? Correct. So now I'm incapacitated, my memory is gone, or I'm physically unable to do it. She has everything she needs, right?
2: Yes, the legal documents are already there, And, and again, that process of transferring ownership for the decedent, to the to the beneficiary to the recipient has already been half accomplished. They've already conveyed it out of their personal probate estate and it's already into an entity. In, in, in my training a trust is also identified as a taxpayer um, so you you created a new taxpayer much like you yeah. with an
0: LLC. So we file taxes on this. You've right. 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 Really you, you created a new
2: entity that is a taxpayer much like I'm a taxpayer, Steve's a taxpayer, John's a taxpayer, you're all a taxpayer created the entity who now owns that property. So it never that doesn't go to probate because you don't have a probate asset anymore. So it's a, it, is a, it, is a, it is a tool for, for avoiding probate
3: in a state like Oklahoma. Can I give an example? Yeah. So about uh, 14 years ago, uh, I did an estate find for a couple and we did one of those binders for them. Um, and I, I didn't see them for a while. And then one day the wife called and said, can I come into the office? And she came in, this was probably about five years later, and the husband had developed Alzheimer's, and was at the stage where he could no longer take care of himself at all. Um, but because they had done the trust, um, she was able to continue with their life. Um, he had he'd been the one who always paid their bills, done everything, um, and because they had a trust, the power of attorneys, the healthcare power of attorneys, all those documents, she was able to continue their life as far as the business side of it. Um, Now, she definitely did not have it easy. I mean, she had to take care of a husband now who had Alzheimer's, Um, but she didn't have to worry about the business side of everything. She just was able to continuously, seamlessly, I use that word a lot, seamlessly. Run the household. Run the household
1: uh, and their life.
0: Okay, so uh, since we talked about money, just briefly, um, what is, in Oklahoma, a typical probate gonna run
3: Sure, so um, I, I call them summary probates and regular probates. Um, a summary probate is actually defined by law for an estate that's under $200,000. Uh, what's nice about a summary probate, I do not answer the question, okay. but um, what's nice about a summary probate is I can usually get them done in about 51 days. Um, the law states 45 days, in reality it's usually probably closer to 60 or 70 days. Um, but I, I'm always trying to keep my record. <laughs> <And>, I <Right>. have <laughs> so got I've got one done in 51 days before, which I felt pretty good about. Um, now for summary probate, we're seeing uh, our legal fees, uh, the court costs, everything like that, usually are about 3800 to $5,000 right now. That's what a summary probate costs. Uh, a regular probate is for, when you have assets over $200,000, those start at a minimum of $5,000, and can go through the roof, uh, depending on
0: whether the heirs are going to be fighting or-, or I wonder what agree. Prince's probate ended up being. Prince, the yeah. musician, you know, when he passed yeah. away, yeah. he didn't have a will. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. we yeah. will let you know, because that one's that been was- wound up for decades. Decades, yeah. yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so someone could pay 5000 up to any, I mean there's an infinite amount of If
3: something is contested, right? Yeah, I mean a a good example that, and we just finally finished it last year at the beginning of of 2018, Uh, we had a probate that I think it lasted five years. Um, We were actually, not even the ones that started it, Uh, we were uh, representing one of the heirs and when I finally got involved in the case, they had already, with legal fees and and money disappearing, and this different stuff. They were down to about $160,000. Um, by the time the judge hit his gavel, the um, game last year, like around January or February, um, I think there there's three heirs, and I think they each got about $4,000. Um, because of all the legal fees. I mean, they paid they us more than, well, there's three law firms involved. But,
0: Okay, so Steve, so everybody's in awe of that. So uh, Curtis pointed out to me, we're talking about the cost, the administrative cost of probate. Can you tell me what it would cost to draft a will versus what it would cost to draft a trust?
3: Sure. Um, So if all you want is just a will, nothing else. uh, We charge around $500 for just a will, for nothing else. Um, I don't like doing just a will for people uh, because because we do this, we see the the need for the incapacity. So I actually have them. Uh, I've started having my clients sign a waiver that they just want a will and that they're refusing the incapacity part of it uh, because I just feel that it's so important. Um, and I don't. Honestly, it's kind of me covering. Right. I don't want to bring back on me when their relatives are like, "Well, why didn't you have them sign this?" Uh, they didn't want to. or did did say that. Right. So, um, so yeah, just a regular will is uh, nothing else. Five hundred dollars. I, I, I will do like a will and capacity plan and stuff like that, um, which will include the power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, uh, advance directive, HIPAA authorization, um, for 1650. I think is what we charge right now. Okay, the and will. then
0: 1650 for all that, and the draft
3: of trust. Uh, and that's for a married couple. 1650 for a married couple. Uh, to draft a trust uh, for a married couple is 2650 and for a single person it is uh, 2150, I think now.
0: So in my opinion, you may think differently, but that's an insignificant increase in what it costs to have a trust drafted versus just the documents of, yeah.
2: Put that in the context of legal hours. If if you're paying an attorney 250 to $300 an hour, you're talking about four hours of their work. I can tell you the the probate process in Oklahoma is a meat grinder. You will go way past four hours uh, very quickly. Um, the other thing I'm going to say too, and this is, uh, we send people to Steve, uh, although I always describe it, we do not have a monogamous relationship professionally, <laughs> either way, but we do have people that we can count on and trust and know that they do good work for a reasonable price, but it's also asset dependent, it, it's a it's a question of what your estate looks like, right now the, the uh, personal exemption for to avoid federal estate taxes north of 11 million dollars so unless you're a 22 million million family you probably don't need to worry about estate tax liability but there are complexities that would add to that in a hurry based on the nature of your assets and the work that would be involved so what I'm, i say is I, I could introduce you to an attorney that could separate you from five figures in legal fees really quickly but most people don't need that but some people do so if you are one of those people with a complex asset driven uh, estate don't turn away from a good attorney who says, "I can't do it for twenty-six hundred dollars." Because that may be Steve. That may be somebody else. You've got to t- you've got to understand the complexity, of it, but don't be afraid to ask. Say, "Why? You know, why is that going to be as costly as you say it's going to be?" And they ought to be able to justify
3: that for you. Yeah, and th- thank you for pointing that out because, and I, sh- I should have uh, qualified that. That's for the estates that are under that eleven million dollar mark.
0: Yeah, mine mine was the, on the lower side of the cost. I just. <laughs> Okay. Anybody here over yeah. $22 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have an example, if you will, of yeah. uh, the difference between having a trust and a program. She so you could like to use your mic and give that opinion. Alright.
4: My own mother passed away on September 1st, of 2014. In over 40 years of doing guardianships, hers is the first and only takeover, if you will, of a trust as successor trustee. Back in 1990, we could sign the paper. I'd even forgotten about it, and here's how it worked. She died on Monday, because that's Labor Day. Tuesday, we called in the obituary to the newspaper, and it showed up on Wednesday's edition. I took the picture of her in that obituary into the educator's credit union. She'd been an educator all her life. I took that in there and said, this was my mom. Death certificates are still three weeks away, at least. But she has passed. Well, let us look it up. Oh yeah you're right here in the computer she took care of all that back in 1990. you don't need me to sign anything no i can write checks right now because i got two bills i need to go pay yes and i was off and running as opposed to hiring an attorney filing a petition with the court going into you know getting the will admitted uh, at probate and then start that process which could run several years it
0: was all done through trust in advance
4: through a living trust
0: yeah. It's, a, it's, it's such a more seamless process. And we did not want our kids or our family to have to deal with that, so that's why we went ahead and did what we did. Okay? I'm going to go to the next one. We're going to cover a lot of details about what we just talked about here. But the next one is uh, it is probate is required after death. So we kind of just alluded to that. Like, if you have a trust, you kind of avoid probate. But there was a truth that was added that if assets are placed in a trust, and deeded, entitled correctly, probate may not be necessary. So, what do you mean by that? Like I think you just said, if we have a trust, we don't need to do a probate. Are there exceptions to that?
3: I guess the biggest exception would be you forget to put something into the trust.
0: So they call that what funding the funding trust, right? Trust. What right. does that mean when someone doesn't fund a trust? Steve?
3: So, it, so well, first funding the trust is making sure what we call funding is. Transferring everything that has a title into the name of the trust. Okay. that's called funding. Which so that could be bank accounts, uh, financial accounts, uh, cars, cars, real estate, uh, boats, uh, boat motors, uh, real estate, minerals, mineral rights. Um, all anything that has a title, uh, you want it in the name of the trust. And we actually also, as part of the the trust process, have a form that transfers all of your personal items as well into the trust. So your clothes, your furniture, um, say, lawnmower, Cats,
0: dogs. uh,
3: Well and and cats, that brings up actually, uh, we've actually started, (laughs) I knew that would
0: bring something up. Yeah,
3: we've actually started doing pet trusts. (laughs) Um, And people laugh, but you love your dog, don't you? (laughs) Or you love your cat, don't you want to take care of them? Um, and so we've actually been doing those, and the, and I'm getting off on a tangent, so stop me if you if I need
0: Okay, to stop I'm you. stopping you.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but come ask me about that.
0: Okay, <laughs> but those of you who are interested in a dollar cat trust will be here after. Okay, we're going to keep going. Because here's the point of that myth versus truth was if you have a trust, it doesn't really do you much good unless the stuff you have is in the trust, right? Right now. Um, please. I'm sorry
3: LLCs. can you
0: write that down for me and we'll come back to it because that's a, a business question and we'll come back to it and steve the other question um, on that is out of state so sometimes people have property that's out of state that they didn't even know they had and so um, i think that was actually one of our other myths was all probates are the same yeah so are they all the same or is that truly a myth
2: well i'm just going to jump in because i'm in the i'm deep in the middle of one right now where we had a. Uh, uh, Kansas resident with Oklahoma and Colorado property. Um, so we are running, uh, and they did not do, uh, they did a trust, but they did not do proper funding. We, we discovered real estate in Oklahoma and in the uh, uh, state of Colorado. So we're running two probates, what are called ancillary probates. He has, actually has a probate open in state of Kansas. That's the, kind of the mother probate. So we have an attorney in Kansas at work. We've got a, a Oklahoma attorney uh, doing a, a, a small probate, uh, uh, the under $200,000 variety in Oklahoma, and the same thing going on in the uh, uh, state of Colorado. So we have three probates, meaning three attorneys on the payroll. That wouldn't be necessary with a trust.
0: So how are you dealing with it if you're a trust management
2: company? I'm the trustee of this trust when he passed, uh-huh. and we are also the, I'm the advisor to the family member who serves as the personal representative. So they 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 hire us to kind of pull the strings and, and cue things up for them and help orchestrate that. So they're not in the, I'm in the business of securing legal, tax, all the sorts of advisors you need to, to accomplish those things because they don't know, you know, they wouldn't know the first step to, to handle those sorts of uh, issues. And I'll just say probate is different in every single state. Uh, no two states are, are even close. Yeah, you deal, I'm going to jump on that we're going way That's in the woods here, but when you start dealing with out-of-state property, if you got Texas property, you, property ownership in the state of Texas is different, or California where you've got community property. Well, the nature of the assets have a lot to do with how your estate plan works. If you don't make those proper recognitions, if you haven't planned around the, the, the property code in the respective state, you're, you could have an ineffective trust document. Like, I don't, you know That goes <coughs> way down into the complexities. Of, again, it talks about the, uh, the, the asset driver in the, the, the complexity of your estate
0: This is why you don't want to
2: draw it up yourself. If you owe an state, a state property, you do not want to do it. You do not want to execute your estate plan by way of a will. I'll say that, and, and I, I shy away from absolutes. I say that with
3: absolute certainty. Yeah, we probably get a call once a month, maybe once every other month, from uh, a law firm in California who they are working with a client. They're doing their trust there, and they're in the funding process. So they're trying to put everything that that person owns and inevitably they, they own oil and gas right. interests here in Oklahoma. And so we do that a lot for uh, several different firms uh, in California where they just call them-
0: Track down what they own right. here. Track down so what they get it into their right. trust. And
3: then we actually put it in the trust for them and send them the documents. Okay. okay,
0: All right, so everybody that used to live in Oklahoma now lives in California, is
3: that what you're telling me? <laughs> At least
0: once a month. Well <laughs> their kids do. Right. If they yeah. own property in
2: California. Yeah. <laughs> if they own property in California, it becomes a little less Again, we're way into the sort of Alright, so
0: let's keep going. A trustee and an executor are the same thing. Myth. Alright. So uh, what is the difference? Trustee and executor?
2: Wow. the executor is is an old term that's used to to determine who the fiduciary to, to to label, identify the fiduciary responsible for the probate estate. A trustee is a fiduciary who's responsible for the trust estate, and they are not necessarily the same.
0: Okay, so if I gave Beverly my life, Beverly, thank you so much for taking over my life, and and then I passed away, Chris passed away, she wouldn't be an executor of our estate. She would be a trustee, successor trustee, if that's what she's named as, right? right? But, and you, but you
3: could have named Pat as your right. executor. Right, I could have, but name. instead
0: I named you. Okay. And why do you think I named you? Go ahead and tell them.
3: Mike's family?
0: Yeah. Do you remember? Not many friends. I don't have any friends. <laughs> Steve can't answer it. He doesn't remember. Because I didn't want a family member having to do it. I did not want one of my children. I didn't want to choose one of my children. Not that they couldn't do it at some point. But I wanted, we chose a healthcare power attorney uh, to be a friend of ours who we trust and we chose Steve as an attorney, as our successor trustee, should something happen, because we didn't want to burden our children with it, frankly. I, I,
2: I'm going to interject this, 25 years of doing this. Um, here's a myth, my children will get along and handle our estate amicably when we're gone.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I would say, in, the, in, in most cases, Particularly in, in older trust documents or even in, in, in wills, most people have named a, a, a child. All, you know, I talked to someone yesterday, why did you name your this child to be your, your executor? Well, that's my oldest child. Mm. My follow-up question is, if that wasn't your child, is that who you want handling your financial <laughs> matters? Or better yet, tell me about the relationship with their siblings. Or better yet, tell me about their relationship with their step-parent.
0: Or their relationship with money. Or, or how long have
2: they been on parole?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what is, so, so the question was asked: What if my successor trustee dies before me? So, if something happened to you, Steve, who would be my successor trustee?
1: Don't remember.
0: No, it, it has to be named. Yeah. You can name yeah. it as deep as you want to go.
3: Yeah, in, in yours, I don't remember, but yeah. I think it's
0: Curtis. Um, Curtis. No. All right. no, it's definitely not. <laughs> no. not Curtis. No, I, but, I honestly. Um, I don't think we went deeper than that, but now that you asked that question, um, the point of the question is what happens if what happens to this person and this person and so on. So I think we actually named the friend who's the healthcare uh, conversation. The thing is, is if the person's your same age, you've got to consider the fact that they may not outlive you, and if the person is your same age, you may consider the fact that they may become infirm, right? There are things that can happen there, so you need to have some layers in there, right? Okay, so let's keep going. I
3: just well, quick, they, yeah, yeah, I just want to say I, I always recommend to people that if, um, if, they, if they insist on having a family member or a best friend as their succession trustee, that the person after that is a corporate trustee of some sort like Curtis um, or somebody that will that, an entity that can take over. Right.
0: So if Curtis no longer works at Arvest, there'll be somebody in that department who is assigned to that as a corporate trustee. Correct. Right. Thank you for that. Um, And so let's go to, with no living children or family members to care for me, I will not have an advocate in the case of incapacity or disability. That's a myth. So the truth is, there are professionals who are trained as advocates. Some may oversee financial affairs, others may oversee personal affairs, some can and will do both. Um, You want to take this one, John?
4: That's what I do very simple.
0: And what does it mean, when I like when I typed this I said that will take care of, what exactly does that mean?
4: I use the chief cook and bottle washer analogy. Whatever it is legally, whatever it is financially, uh, when I'm a guardian, I, I have to advocate for that person. And I actually work for them but I also work for the court because the judge appointed me. And every decision that I make, I look in my mind's eye and see that judge's face. Is he smiling? Or is he frowning? Because I have to answer to it.
0: And so when you say, um, so in in your case, let's say court-appointed guardian, um, for someone who has no children or family members for that purpose, or maybe they're not suited for that purpose, how does that happen? I mean, what are the circumstances that go into you being on the scene, if you will?
4: A lot of times the children have grown up. They've established their own careers, and maybe they're on opposite coasts. Sometimes it's a black sheep of the family kind of thing where I don't want any of them taking care of my business. Um, there's a number of different reasons, but those are pretty much the most common ones. Is There's no one here they can trust to handle their affairs the way they want them handled.
2: Let me you, you jump in too. You know, Those things come to light in the event of a crisis. If it's someone who has no, you know, no spouse, no children, no close family, some sort of event happens, some sort of crisis happens. Sometimes it's Adult Protective Services come in, sometimes it's the Sheriff's Department, sometimes it's a caring neighbor. Um, sometimes you find out that, you know, it, and, and this is where there's not a guardian, there's not a trustee, there's not a you know, fiduciary, there's not a, uh, 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 an advocate uh, engaged something terrible happens. Sometimes it's the bank notices that, you know, um, Mr. Curtis is coming in and he's starting to bounce a bunch of checks. We don't recognize the signature on there. So someone's doing the, you got a gotta event forgery. <laughs> Financial institutions have a have a legal duty to report those things. I I've I occasion to call the adult protective services and just, you know, sort of tell them about our concern that they've got to do you to investigate it. But if indeed someone is in a place where they're being You see a lot of uh, elder abuse, particularly on the financial side. Uh, Adult Protective Services will scoop in. There'll be an emergency guardianship and then they'll get a hearing before a judge who will look for someone like John who will come in on a more permanent basis. But it's usually in a crisis and that's, that's not the time to be dealing with those things. Two kinds of guardianship. There's a voluntary guardianship and
4: an involuntary guardianship. In the case where you have a crisis, that may be where you have to go for the involuntary one. But most of the ones that I get are voluntary. Somebody begins to realize that they're not as sharp as they used to be, that they can't remember things like they need to. In advancing stages of old timers, the bills look like junk mail and they throw those away. That's another big clue. Uh, Curtis is right. I, I know the people at Adult Protective Services and they know me uh, because they have referred cases to me. They, they want to get files off their desk and the guardianship can go on for years. The grandmother I told you about outlived two judges, the guardianship. I went to the retirement of the third, and I told him, you don't understand how glad I am to be here. He said, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I said, the first two are in Highland uh, Cemetery. You're retiring. This is a celebration. He just left. But we got to be pretty good friends through the whole thing because you know he knew I was doing the guardianship correctly.
0: How, I, how are you paid? I think this is a good question to ask. So as a guardian, how are you compensated for that service?
4: There are several things in statute, and I'll let this man address it, but I've charge a flat $70 an hour.
0: And that's whether it's voluntary or involuntary? Either way. Okay, so I want you to tell them about the involuntary part of that and how when you are assigned by the judge as the guardian, because they didn't have anybody else, and they said you, when do you get paid?
4: When you become a guardian, you have to put... uh, uh, effort and assets into taking care of that ward because part of the process of becoming a guardian is there has to be a ward of the court. So if you go up in front of a judge and say, I need help with my finances, they'll find you, without incapacity, they'll, they'll find you a ward of the court and then they'll appoint me. I had a case where there were four kids, two in state, two in Texas, and they were all fighting over the assets an attorney who had played golf with the ward for like 40, 50 years, instituted a guardianship that was not consensual. And eventually nobody objected to it, so I was appointed guardian, it was involuntary guardianship. But then I took over the assets and I had to separate, I had to first figure out who the good actors were and who the bad actors were. And then that kind of makes things easier to handle because you stop listening to the bad actors because they're trying to get you, they were distributing these things, dad was still alive.
0: John. Yes. wrap it up. How do you get paid? $70 an hour. But you don't get paid until when? You
4: gotta, you gotta go a year to turn in an annual report and then you apply for reimbursement or
1: payment
0: at that time. That's what I wanted y'all to hear. He's gonna do this job for a year without compensation until he then a year later submits for compensation you guys get that this isn't something that people go into because they're going to get rich and this is a hard thing i need you guys to hear this
4: the, another limitation on guardianships is you can only have five
0: you can only have five, You're limited five for custody.
4: Custody. there is one exception for a close relative which was my grandmother you can have the sixth one for a close relative and i had her for 13 years before she passed away
0: okay did you have something you want to add? No. Oh, okay. All right. So thank you, John. I'm sorry to cut you off, but we're running short on time. Okay. So the next one is, we just talked about this, but I'm going to read the myth. I don't have any living children, so I won't need to worry about anyone trying to tell me how to live my life or run my household. But if your house looks like that, and you go inside and it looks worse, and you're not taking care of yourself, bathing, eating, getting the care you need, etc. And you mentioned being a reporter, a mandatory reporter to Adult Protective Services. Oklahoma says that we are all <coughs> mandatory reporters. Every <coughs> human being is considered a mandatory reporter, meaning for children, vulnerable adults, and elderly, if you think someone is being abused, uh, exploited, or may do harm to themselves or others, uh, then you are required to report that to Department of Human Services. And so you've got to imagine all of us come across these people in whatever you field you're in, you have a neighbor that's living like that. And if that person is reported, Adult Protective Services is our friend. They really are. And they will go in and assess the situation and help them get what they need by assigning a guardian a sign I mean they called us to help people clear out their house and get the house sold so that they can relocate them someplace safe I mean there's that is a good thing a lot of people don't call Adult Protective Services but I'm here to tell you short of another option that is the best option okay Um, myth only certain people can be appointed by the court as a guardian over others so you guys might think everybody out there who's a guardian is like John can anybody apply to be a guardian or just people like John?
4: You cannot be a convicted felon.
0: That's the only criteria?
4: That's right, as far as I know.
0: So, interesting read I, I had the other day was that more and more nursing home administrators are applying as guardians of residents. Do you think there's a conflict of interest there at all? <laughs>
2: I'll say this, I can hear said this before, I I avoid absolutes. I would not say that's absolutely a conflict. It may be the best solution to a very bad situation. But it's not, right? I mean, you you definitely want someone who's going to be a step away, not going to have the, you know, not going to have any skin in the game other than making sure that they're looking out for your best
0: interest. But if you're there and you're lying in a bed and you have, you're incapacitated for whatever reason and they, they need to get paid they don't have a way to get paid because your money isn't in an account and you're not able to write checks or give them a credit card or any of that. Short of getting a guardianship, there is no way to make that person pay. You guys get that? So it's strictly a financial arrangement, but as a guardian, what control do they have over that person's life?
4: Just about everything. So the heart of the guardian is critically important, in my opinion.
0: So would that make sense, then, why people do trusts? And name corporate trustees or any trustee. Yes, and I also
2: add to that, though you can do the guardianship that splits the guardianship of the person from the guardianship of the fin- financial guardian, guardian of the estate.
0: Right. So that brings me to this myth, and it applies to everybody, not just special needs. But um, Janet, one of your colleagues, pointed out to me that she said the myth is a successor trustee. So in the event that you have a special needs child and you name. A successor trustee to take care of your special needs adult child after your passing she said the myth is that the trustee can help the special needs child with everything and so what you just said is what she was alluding to there needs to be two types of guardians
2: well yeah there's going to be someone who's going to have either legal custody or guardianship for the health care issues and things of that sort the trustee you don't write into the trust you do not extend a parent cannot give extend guardianship or responsibility for their children by way of a trust. Um, all they can do is dictate is the administration of their assets, their resources. That's the school balance, okay. The, the health the healthcare issues, the personal things where we're just gonna say an incompetent child or even a spouse is gonna be done by way of guardianship or power of attorney.
0: So as a corporate trust department. You guys can manage the financial affairs and assets and investments, right, of an individual, but you can't necessarily be their health care proxy, their health care. There's a lot we can do.
2: There is, in my world, there's a there's not a, there is a hard, dark line between having legal authority, but there's a big gray area where if you know what you're doing, you can help facilitate things that are going to be, Helping them personally.
0: You can advocate to find them the right community or so the right caregiver. I've had
2: clients that I've helped facilitate surgeries, and I go in and negotiate the cost. I can. I, there are ways for me to go in because I hold the purse strings, so to speak. That I can. I can help them accomplish things and make get everything they need to help them do that in an efficient, cost-effective way.
0: But you can't make them do it. No, I, can't, I can't sign
2: contracts person. with hospitals or doctors right. or car dealers or any of this. So,
0: John, can you, as a guardian? pretty
4: much the same thing, but one of my operating corollaries is that he who <laughs> controls the money controls the activity.
0: Say that again louder.
4: He who controls the money controls the activity. Guardian of the person cannot force the guardian of the estate, if they're a different person, to pay money for something. That's a separate decision by the guardian of the estate.
2: For example, uh, he may have a guardianship, and he may be the guardian, and we may not get along, and he wants to put uh, one of his clients in a facility that I think is below their means and is not, you know, I just have an opinion that someone could, 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 could reasonably do better. I can stand in the way going, you can try to put them in there, but we're gonna to need to come to an agreement because I don't like that place. This is my, my relationship as well. I think we can afford to do better. I'm not signing any financial responsibility. You can put them in X Y Z assisted living community, but you sure. have to figure out your own means of paying for it.
0: So it's it's checks and balances in a way. Yeah. It is, and this
2: this this I mean, we can get into a long conversation about how you surround yourself with a lot of different advisors with different uh, uh, roles to play. But in in, a, in an effective working relationship, your counselors or advisors right. ought to be able to deliver you the best outcome, regardless of the situation.
0: Okay, so let me give you a quick example on this. So my trust document. Our friend Malia, who is a friend of ours, who's our age, lives in Austin, is our successor, is our healthcare durable power attorney and successor, not successor, trustee though. And the reason we did that was because I imagined, should something happen to me, Chris passed away, something should happen to me and I needed to be placed in some sort of healthcare environment. My kids are the heirs to any money I have. What is their decision going to be based on? The quality of care or how much it costs? I would hope my quality of care, but I can't guarantee that. Malia has no vested interest in how much money is spent because she has no money to be had from my estate. Who's going to make the better decision for me? Somebody completely unbiased about the money or somebody who stands to inherit the money?
2: Well, or the flip side, it's emotional too. So we must give kids some credit. Not too much, but sometimes <laughs> they might make decisions that are very destructive in the sense where they're going. Spend more than Yeah, they wait, we can't afford to do that. And I, I see that too. That they want, they want to comp the blind silly for mom and dad, and that's great. But you're going, listen, they they're, you know, you're, my mother lived with Parkinson's for 25 years. If, if you read the book, she had a seven-year life expectancy. You're going, well, we only have to get her seven years down the road. Truth was, you had to go much further than that. We can't be spending at a seven-year clip. We had to do this for you know, with the, with the expectation of for living 40 years. So it's, it's having someone who doesn't have an emotional bias either. It's not just purely a, an equitable interest, but uh, an emotional one that can also cause you to make bad decisions.
1: Thank
0: you for that. Yeah, okay, so last myth, and then we're going to open it up for questions. Here it is. If I wait long enough to deal with this, it will go away and never become an issue. <laughs> True. <laughs>
2: Here's, there was an earlier myth talked about. I don't, I don't, I don't have to have a probate. I don't right. know exactly what the myth yeah. was. You don't have to probate any of the assets. You know, if if Junior's living on the family farm and you die, he can keep on farming. And then when he dies, his kids can keep on farming. But eventually, someone's going to have to be able to convey title, and it's going to be a train wreck trying to clean up a bunch of probates that didn't happen 45 years ago. And trying to get, I mean, you're you're opening that can of worms, and I've seen those. I've seen more than my fair share of those. That's a train wreck. An expensive one. Yeah, and people are not gonna be you know, delivering flowers to your grave, they're gonna deliver something far more foul than that.
3: We're, we're doing two right now for a husband and wife that one died in 92, the other died in 94, 95. But the only reason we're doing this is we're having to clean
0: up title. Yeah, so property being sold. Property, yeah. So as a real estate agent, that's one of my worst nightmares. We send the, the Request to the title company for the abstract to be brought up to date, and they pick us back a report that says, "Oh, we have these glaring problems. Transfers were not done, etc., etc., etc." This person's really ready to buy this house. They want to write the check, and now we've prolonged and prolonged and prolonged to clean up the the title before we can actually make the transfer. So it's a, it's a total nightmare for lots of people, not just now. By the way, you're dead, so you don't care. <laughs> And that's what some people will tell me. Some people will say, I'm going to be dead. I don't care. Well, that's up to you. That's up to you. Okay. All right. Uh, that was it for me. So let's open it up for questions. I'm going to take the question. I'm going to repeat the question. I'm going to pass it off to these guys, and then uh, and then I'll try to get everybody. Okay. So I saw Patrick, and then I saw Bill. Yeah. How often should you have your trust document
1: reviewed, and what are the pros
4: and cons of having different lawyers
0: Okay, good, two part question. How often should you have a trust document that you already have created reviewed, and then what are the pros and cons of using the same attorney versus a different attorney for that purpose?
3: I like to recommend that people have their trust reviewed every three to five years, I think that's good. But anytime there's a life change in your life, uh, you have a new grandchild born, a new kid in your life, I mean. Divorce. get married, What are your, a beneficiary sure dies. One of your heirs gets married. I mean, any life change, you need to come back and look at your trust. I, I agree with the three to five. And the life
2: events we're dealing more with is loss of a spouse, loss of a child, a special needs child. That you know, some you know, the, some of the mental health issues we're dealing with now don't manifest in childhood. They might manifest in adulthood. So if you have someone, a child who was made, had three, three to five years. That's the simple answer, and the thing I would make sure I included is whoever's going to be your successor trustee is part of that dialogue. Now, that's probably where the conversation begins because understanding how the how the trust operates. If, 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 if I'm dealing with clients, I go through a generally I, I kind of maintain that relationship. We we maintain what's called a standby standby trust file. In other words, where I'm not at work today, but I know that when he draws his last breath and Arvis becomes his successor trustee. Steve and I have stayed plugged in, so I think it's important that your successor does that. Now the question of whether you go to the same attorney or not, if your attorney is senile, don't go back to him.
0: If they're dead,
2: don't go back to them. The issue is this is someone who conceivably has stayed part of your life and has, has a good handle on, those, on the terms of those documents. Um, I think there are some documents that are so outdated that starting fresh with a new attorney that you've got more confidence in is, makes perfect sense um and those documents can all be drawn. So yeah you may start from scratch you don't change the name of your document you, you, you would start with a whole new whole new document steve and i talked about though anything that was drafted prior to 2006 absolutely i would make sure is reviewed and the reason 2006 is uh, important is because there were some new um, um there's a letter ruling or what but modern documents because so many people's worth, net worth, their their, their, their assets are, are held in qualified accounts, 401ks, IRAs, things of that sort. You need specific language qualifying if you want the IRA to be part of your trust and part of the uh, inheritance for your children whoever those heirs may be. There's specific language that needs to be present in those documents. You could have some real problems from a tax perspective if those are absent in your documents
0: so 2006 or before definitely need to have it yeah but
2: i run into a lot of people going i haven't looked at it since it was drafted in 1992 i'm going that's way overdue so the other thing is you can't do it too much
3: okay. yeah i think the other thing that kind of changed was the state, the state tax exclusion state but, tax
0: exclusion yeah. yeah So it used to be
3: three hundred dollars that's a long and time ago that's it like yeah. yeah. now it's like 11.4 million yeah so the state planning a big part of the state planning. As far as using trusts and instruments like that was to not hide your assets but keep your assets in yeah, preservation for the next generation. Uh, but now because it's at the 11.4, 11.4, yeah, yeah. something like that. 11.4. So that that means a married couple can have <laughs> 22 million, 22 plus yeah. 8 million, something like that. that they, so they, let's they, not get too far in the weeds. Yeah, so yeah, suffice yeah. It to
0: say, it's, yeah. it needs to be raised more frequently than yes. not. Hold right. that. Hold that thought. <laughs> three to five years is kind of standard practice yeah bill and then I'll get back here yeah. <clears throat>
1: oh
0: good question yeah so yeah so the question is how does a paid on death or transfer on death deed work and how does that help or affect probate
2: that's a great question you you can have a, a variety of assets that are never that are not not necessarily probate assets so you can avoid probate let's talk about life insurance you have what you're looking for is remember probate whole process the whole discussion here is about how do i get my assets to the next generation or whoever it is i want to have it when i'm gone so if you've got life insurance you have a beneficiary designation if you have a 401k you've got a beneficiary designation if you've got a bank account you can do a pay on debt or transfer on debt now in oklahoma as of like 2012 you have a transfer on death for real estate so it always—it's always asset dependent. That's why i you know—I'm not I avoid absolutes and, and try to paint a picture where there are exceptions. The exceptions to do I need any, do I need a trust? Let's look at your assets. That—that that should be part of the conversation. It's not—not not that everybody needs a trust. It's—it's it's asset dependent. So
3: the the answer to that is it depends. yeah.
1: go ahead.
3: Well, I was going to say the kicker to that also is uh, I'll talk to people and they say well I just I got a POD so everything's covered everything's going to my wife and they're like well wh- where do you and your wife want your assets to go to after that well then it's supposed to go to our son or daughter here's the kicker though what if your spouse gets remarried and and right and so and so then, then whoever they remarry would get that stuff and I'm your kid so I always say do you, do you want your New wife's kids to have your stuff, or do you want your kids to have your stuff? So again, I think that. Oh, listen
0: to the chatter in the (laughs) room. It's it's
2: that well? I think about you know second wives, second families, or you know I don't like my my daughter-in-law. Any of those things. It's not only asset dependent but it's also what you're trying to avoid. So there's an old an old cliche: for every simple problem, there's a simple solution, but it's probably wrong.
0: There's a bigger picture, so it's not just a let's do this because it sounds like the
1: right thing to do, that's what I hear y'all saying, yeah. Uh, Yes? In terms of
2: selecting an attorney to prepare the trust, what considerations should you give to either picking up a sole practitioner or an attorney with a firm where there's multiple attorneys
0: Oh, good question. So when choosing an attorney to do these types of things, particularly a trust, what consideration do you give to hiring an agent, uh, an agent, that's my lingo, uh, an attorney who's a sole practitioner versus someone who's with a firm with multiple agents? I mean, multiple my, my, filter, my
2: filter, when, I'm, when, when clients come to me and say, who should I use, I use a medical analogy. I'm not going to go to an ear, nose, and throat guy for an ankle problem. So I'm going to look for someone who who devotes a good portion of their business to the estate planning because it is an ever-changing business, profession, or an area of law. Yeah. Now complexity becomes a problem, nature of assets. I I generally, if if I have someone who's in a business where I think there's a high risk of uh, litigation related to their business, I'm probably going to want to deal with a firm that's going to have a litigation department. So big firm, small firm, I'm really not too concerned. I want to know the guy sitting next to me that I'm sending my client to so I know that they get well, well cared for. And then you know, I don't want them going to a guy who's now in the twilight of his career when my client may be 45 years old either. Because I don't want people, I have plenty of people look at me and go, Curtis, how much longer are you going to be working? Which, A, terrifies me, but B, got to think about the next generation. So I introduce them to my assistant and my, my, so you got to make that decision based on your circumstance. But there are an awful lot of, of single single attorney, you know, I call them sole proprietor attorneys that, that I love because when I pick up the phone because I've got to get something done. You know, Steve answers my call and gets back to me quickly.
0: I had this conversation literally this morning on my way here. A family member said, so are you going to XYZ attorney to re- you recommending them to your stepdad for his trust?" And I said, no, I'm not. I said, I'm recommending someone else. It's Steve. And she said, why? I said, because when I call, I can talk to Steve. When we call that firm, I get some flunky that I don't know who passes me around to four different people. And I'm not going there for them to charge me twice or three times, by the way. <laughs> what Steve charges me and I get Steve. Now that may not always be true. He may grow and I may end up talking to an assistant or a paralegal or something like that. But I, the trust and the, and the faith that I have that when I sit down with Steve, he actually deals with people and, I, and this is a commercial for you, by the way. I, I'm unsolicited. But here's the deal. Whether it's Steve or someone else, you need to sit in front of that person and feel like they get you. If they don't get you, then you need to move on. If you meet with Steve and you guys don't gel, then you need to move on because you got to like that person. Right? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Pat. If you have a trust and you have an investment portfolio that specifies the
1: beneficiary, does that portfolio need to be in the
0: trust? So the question is, if I have a, a portfolio that specifies the beneficiary, do I need to have that in my trust? It, it, that would
2: depend, in might be, that would depend on what you want happening. I mean someone might have, let's say, it doesn't have to be, some people don't want it to be. It's a question of where do you want those assets to go and how do you want them to go there. In other words, if you say I want to put uh, service as my beneficiary with no strings attached, then list me as the beneficiary on your IRA and it'll come to me and I'll have no strings attached. But if you want it to go, but if you don't trust Curtis to be responsible with those funds, and all of the reasons for having a state plan that's going to to put some some limits on this 'er ne'er-do well child of yours, then you might want to put it, you know, put it in the trust so that the trust is the beneficiary of your IRA, but Curtis, the 'er ne'er-do well child, is the beneficiary of the trust, and then the trustee will decide how much, you know. Does Curtis need to fall into two hundred thousand dollars without any strings attached? No, he's a knucklehead. But if Curtis needs to have two hundred thousand dollars that are available for him to provide for his health, education, maintenance, and support, then under that circumstance, I think there's an argument or consideration for having it having the trust as the beneficiary. So
0: strings attached or strings not attached? You may want to funnel it through the trust to add some stipulations. If you just wanted to have it with no strings attached, it may just as well transfer or beneficiary designation. Yeah. Did I summarize that okay? No. Yeah. Okay. All right. I saw some questions over here. Sorry. Chris, where are you pointing? Uh, yes, sir.
3: Uh, if you have some real estate assets, separate
4: individual assets in it, an LLC, separate LLCs, how should you put those in a trust or not?
0: Okay. So real estate assets and LLCs, more than one? Several. Several. Is, should you put those in a trust or not? Is that the question? <coughs> yes. Yeah.
3: We see that a lot with kind of similar as small businesses, people have a small business, and we put all those analyses into the trust. So,
0: for what reason? What's the purpose of doing
3: that? Well, because then it, because nor- normally what they want is they want that asset to go to the kids or whoever they want it to go to. So the trust provides an avenue for a to but flow from, from them at their death
2: to, or the trust to whoever they want it to go to. I'm going, to, I'm going to take 10 seconds to say there are exceptions. If you have an LLC that has like a buy-sell agreement with it so that you've got a third, a non-family member has the right to buy you out, um, then, you know, the point being, you don't want to leave the LLC outside of your trust and be subject to probate if that's avoidable. And then the flip side of that, uh, I had a flip side, I forgot when your hand went up. So, if, the,
1: uh, if the LLC names, has the uh, children in
4: the LLC as additional members, <laughs> Take it
2: over, that, would that would be the buy-sell provision I'm talking about. Yeah.
0: So it's kind of the same question that Pat asked though. It yeah. depends. Had-
2: <laughs> but but who are they buying? Who are they buying out? Are they buying out you individually or are they buying out your trust? Because if you're the owner of your membership shares, John Smith, well then they're writing their check for that buy-sell to John Smith. And John Smith, those assets are going to be subject to probate. The cash consideration for your LLC buy.
0: Okay, so I'm going to stop for a second, because this is a very specific, and that's really not going to address the majority of folks, but it's valid, so I'm glad you brought it up. And here's the point I want to make, is that if anybody has small businesses, or LLCs, or a a significant variation of assets, they need to be meeting with one of these guys about those questions. I think it's a beautiful question. I saw a lady back here in red. Yes, ma'am. How do you determine the salary of the trustee? How does one determine the salary of a trustee?
2: Good question. I've seen documents that dictate what the salary is. The problem is, if it's not enough to satisfy the trustee, they won't accept the appointment. Now, corporate fiduciaries charge, basically, an ongoing commission based on the assets under management.
0: Say that again
1: louder.
2: A corporate trustee will charge a fee that's based on a percentage of the assets under management. On a billion-dollar, if you have a billion-dollar trust estate in this market, Oklahoma City greater metro area, including Tulsa, let's say state of Oklahoma, you're probably in the order of about one and a quarter percent of assets under management. So, is that an annual number? And it's an annual figure. That sounds. If you put, if you quantify that on a billion dollars, that's about twelve thousand five hundred dollars. Sounds like a huge sum of money to some people. But look, if you're a mutual fund owner, look at those same assets and find out what your internal cost is on your mutual fund. Because it's probably higher than that. So don't be don't don't have sticker shock. Now, an individual trustee generally is gonna be gonna be asked to sort of have a similar fee structure, but they can say whatever they want to say. And if they say, I want 5% of assets under management, you either pay it or you find another trustee. But the compensation should be driven by Assets under management, not so much by time. And what that does is it puts the trustee on the same side of the table you are. My goal, as a as an asset manager, as your trustee, is to grow that million dollars into a million one, to a million two. Try to grow the, the 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 size of that estate and 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 not spend more money than is necessary.
0: And that's really kind of the difference between a corporate trustee and a personal
2: trustee, like we might would have. Some right? personal trustees won't charge anything, but I, I, you know. But I they're not going to
0: help me grow my assets.
2: Well, what they'll have to do is they they still are responsible for having them managed. They might turn right back around and go buy that, that mutual fund that's charging you 2%. You with me? So, I mean, they're still going to have to hire someone to do the, the investment management or the asset management. So, corporate, all the brands, the gas.
0: so, in your department, you have people that do all that because they have various skill sets and knowledge base. Yeah,
2: five-second commercial. Corpor- uh, uh, corporate trustees should have people with expertise in in. I call unique assets. In my career, I've managed a ton of real estate, minerals, oil and gas, timber, uh, uh, music royalties, trademarks. I worked on the estate of, uh, uh, who's the guy that writes up? Louis Lemoore. I, I, when I was young in my career, I was participating in it. His as was uh, Louis Untermeyer, was his, but his name was Louis Lemoore. I helped um, settle so, so his estate, so you can imagine we had an incredible amount of, of publishing market.
0: So a corporate trustee can help manage that so that answers that question i have one more follow-up question to that. so you said 70 dollars an hour right that's your fee right. so steve assume you become my successor trustee it's an hourly rate yeah yes right yes right
3: 280 an hour
0: okay thank you because yes. i was going to say because last time i checked you do charge for yes we do yes okay <laughs> so and so we kind of knew that going in so instead of a percentage of our estate which wouldn't pay steve very much
3: He's going to charge by the hour for the administration of that. And I, yes, and I, can I just ask you yeah. in terms of yeah. probates too? Because yeah. uh, somebody called me the other day and they were, I guess they're, and, and you should, you should call several attorneys and, and meet with them. Uh, but they're needing help with the probate, and one of the attorneys they had met with was <coughs> 10% of the total estate as probate. 10%. 10%?
0: That's
3: more than a real estate was, agent. Yeah, which I thought <laughs> was. <laughs> so, Y'all just
0: thought I was expensive.
3: Because she was shocked that we charge $280 an hour, and I was like, but we'll probably get it done for, and the assets were well over three hundred thousand dollars. So, you know, that was off the top of it, thirty thousand dollars
1: wow.
0: for his
3: fee. Mm-hmm. And we'll probably get it done for, like I said, between five and eight thousand dollars.
0: Okay. Chomper I saw out. a hand back here, and then I'll come up here. Okay. Yes. If you have a collectible, how would you identify
1: that in
0: a trust? And in our trust, we have a the end of the business. Did you say collectible? <laughs> It's, so give me an idea what you mean by collectible, like a material object, a coins or a car or whatever, right? Okay, so if, if someone has a collectible item, um, is it recommended that that be named in the trust or is that become a part of their will, which is a part of the trust? How's I would that?
3: put it into the trust and we just do an assignment. Uh, it, it's a simple assignment. It's personal property,
2: so you can you can name, you, you, in the course of your, what I see in documents, I don't draft them that's what he does. In the, in the context of the document, you will see an assignment of all personal property. The thing you run into, though, is there's collectibles and then there's all worn out furniture. So if you want them to be treated differently, you need to designate my fine art. I, you know, if you're a numismatic person, if you've got hot water, are highly collectible. I have a client who we are his standby trustee. He collects vintage motorcycles and cars. Well, I can go make I can go make a market for those things, but if there are things I need to know about them, I need to know the, the, the He can give me some guidance on those sorts of things, but the answer his answer is, is correct, and, and generally that's that's how that's accomplished. Good question.
0: Okay. Yes. I, I told so right here, and then I'll get you. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have trust that the company that wrote uh, the
1: truck comes annually and reviews. But how can I trust anybody? Because I've had a <laughs> I have that trust. Four other people. And every <coughs> has a different opinion about that trust. Wow, that's a great question. So he said um, he had a company through a trust,
0: that. and every year they come and they review the trust with him and he's had four other people look at it and he's had four different other opinions. His question is, how do I know who to trust?
2: This, this, I, I, I want to turn to Steve. I said I love the term, someone's got an opinion. Uh, everybody in here has an opinion, right? Like the nose is on our face. When you say I've had it reviewed, my first question is who reviewed it?
0: An attorney?
2: Yes. An estate planning attorney?
0: Well, I don't know what it is. Okay, yeah. let's move on. Uh, it was my, my golfing partner. Okay, and then four other people, Are, were those four other
2: people attorneys that reviewed it? Well, a couple of them I believe were. <laughs> a couple of them I believe were, so here's the thing. Go to My answer is, I, I, I re- and I'm not, this is not a case because I don't make a dime doing that. I just attest to the fact. I, I have a stack of trust that over the current year I'll review for people. We do it for nothing. I'm not an attorney. I'm not a CPA. I have no skin in the game other than to review it for you. Go. Here's what it says to me because a trust is an operating manual. It tells me how to start the lawnmower, how to push it, how to turn it off, how to maintain it, keep it running, and make it last. So my job for the last 25 years is taking that operating manual and making it work. Sometimes it miss, it doesn't have the instructions saying here's where the gas goes. I'm an analogy guy. So my my experience in doing this for 25 years is that I know when it lacks the information I need. I hope I find that out before I go to work using that. Before right. I put that thing to work. Before before, before you need a lawnmower. Before Bill dies. Before I before I need to move on So I'm putting myself, if, if you've named a corporate trustee, if you've named my bank, absolutely get us to take a look at it. If you've named BOK, Heritage Trust, Bank First, any of those trust departments, get them to look at it.
0: Well, let me ask this question. <laughs> Not You don't have to say who, but is the trustee of your trust, after you pass, is it a family member? Do they understand it? Have they even seen it? Does anybody understand? No, that's my question. Do they understand it? Because what, what I just heard here's, you say an operating
2: mandate. Yeah, and here's what I'll tell you. We do this for bank customers all the time, and I do it for non-bank customers. And forgive me, this is an overt offer, but I do this for anybody. And if I get to back up, I've got other people that will do it as well. We'll look at that document, and I'm not looking to insert my bank or myself into any situation. If I say, I'm not going to go out there and go, here's a problem, let's fix it, and and, and, oh, by the way, you'll have to hire me to do it. There'll be no invoice at the end of the road. We'll just give you an objective look at it, and and, and part of that's having dialogue, disclosure, where you've got to understand you a little bit, what you're trying to accomplish. I, I use this analogy, if you're here, and you're trying to get here. Does this document get you there? And that's where I go, thumbs up, mm-hmm. works great. I'll ask those challenging questions like, naming your child to be your trustee. Why? And yeah. is that the best solution? Yeah. But at the end of the day, my job is to give advice. Your job will always be to decide what to do with it. Right.
0: Steve, we
3: yeah. yeah. need to move on. Yeah, that'd be real quick. We're in that kind of situation, when people call, up, can you just, I, I just need you to look at this. Can you just tell me what, what this is? Um, what I want to do first is I want to meet with you because I, I want to actually know what you're wanting to accomplish. And once I know what you're wanting to accomplish, then we can look at the document, like he said, and does it get you from here to there? But you know,
0: guys, it's it, here's the issue I hear, and I'm just going to paraphrase this. Many of us want an opinion, but we don't tell the person that we're asking the opinion of what kind of opinion we're looking for. People ask me to come to their house all the time and say, tell me what my house is worth. Well, what for what purpose? Are you insuring it? Are you trying to give it to a kid? Are you trying to sell it to a family member? What are you trying to do with this house? I can't tell you how much it's worth unless you tell me what the point is. If you're trying to sell it, that's a different question. So I know that sounds ambiguous, but if you go to an attorney or you hand somebody your trust document and say, give me your opinion, and they don't ask you a few questions about your purpose, they're probably not the person who should be reviewing it. They're probably just a know-it-all who wants to give you an opinion, because they can. Dan, you had a question?
1: Trustee, you're using a corporate entity as your successor trustee and
0: your durable power of attorney. The same kind of The durable is only good when you're locked. If you someone's debt,
1: then the successor trustee is the same company. Is that just a seamless transfer? So, repeat the
0: so repeat the question, if someone assigns a corporate trustee as their successor trustee and they're also their power of attorney, so the power of attorney dies when you die, is that a seamless transition for that person to become the trustee? Yes. It depends on what the document says, right?
2: I will tell you the corporate trustees will shy away from having the, the POA designation because it comes with a lot of liability, particularly if it's a general power of attorney and we would be responsible for your personal matters including healthcare. Because
1: Well, durable is Understand that,
2: but you can check the box that says they're going to my they will be able to make health care decisions for me as well. Not the life or death sort of things, but um, what in my practice, what I generally do is my clients will come in and they will remain their trustee. You know, with, with the, the maker, the person who accumulated the wealth, of the, the the trustor, they will hire me to be, be their financial advisor, and I will manage their assets, financial assets on an advisory agency basis, and then they will delegate other things to me. They'll be responsible for paying the bill. That's what makes it really seamless because I'm already paying their utilities. I'm already paying their insurance. When they tired of doing it, they just say you
0: do it. I'm going
2: to, you know, an aisle cruise. I'm not gonna be around for a while. Keep, Keep things going. All right, last question,
0: yes. Uh okay, second to the last question. Chris is gonna make me take that one. Yes. Okay, if your assets are governed by beneficiaries or joint ownership. Do they always have to go to probate or is it a <coughs> but,
1: Are they progression? What
0: assets? Oklahoma? Yes. If your assets are in Oklahoma and they have an admission beneficiary assignment. Or they have a joint ownership. Or they have a joint ownership. Or joint
3: like a joint checking account. Do they have to be probated in the you know, home? Yeah. No, I mean, like you said, a checking account. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then it would just go to whoever the other joint. Okay. What well, about uh, other investments that you may have that are under other, under management? You no, know, not
0: under management, but in some other
1: people's names. Joint
3: know investments. Do, but well, it, it goes back to like what we said.
1: I, I, I mean, joint ownership. Joint, ten-
2: joint tenancy with right of survivorship, the survivor takes ownership of whatever they're holding in joint tenancy. it doesn't go through No, sir. It I know. You've already got an operation, you've already got a law, an operation law that makes that conveyance. You use a beneficiary designation. Yes. Not appropriate. Asset.
0: Okay, that's the third question. You're cut off. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Alright, last one, ma'am. Yes. You mentioned um, IRA, SEP accounts in the trust. What's your position
2: on specific retirement trusts? I don't understand the question, no, can you repeat it? Excuse, excuse. Reminding me that we talked a little bit about uh, retirement <coughs> accounts in a trust. What's my position on a retirement trust? Not a term I'm real familiar with and it's but, but it maybe we're just using different words for the same things. A trust that has the the requisite language for the treatment gives guidance to the successor trustee how to manage an IRA or other, they're called qualified accounts, qualified funds. It it has to give you, it has to provide that language in order for it to be managed in a tax-effective way. Real simply, if you've got a trust that's beneficiary of an IRA and the trust does not give you guidance to do what we call the stretch of the IRA then you're gonna pay taxes currently when, it inherits that, when that trust inherits the IRA. Not a great idea because you're, you're gonna pay in the highest marginal tax rate in many cases. Otherwise, we can stretch out the tax liability over the life expectancy of that beneficiary. So my opinion is, I don't have an opinion because I don't know your circumstance. But there's the, there's the difference in why that
1: becomes
0: important. That's also why you should meet with somebody and discuss all the pieces to the it's puzzle. It's all it's yeah. situationally driven. Okay. So, does, how many of you got some really great answers to your questions today? Give them a hand. Yeah. Um, I learned some things. I don't know about you. And I have lots of other questions. So on your evaluation form, there's a place that you can write down something you learned today. We'd love to know what you took away that was most, uh, you know, on top of your mind, and questions you
1: still have.
2: I, I have one. I'm going to do another over uh, promotion, but that's for what John does. John is not strictly a, a court-appointed guardian; he also serves as trustee. I have occasion to send people to him because, in a corporate setting, we do have minimums. We have trust have to be of a sufficient size for us to be able to cost justify that so when i talk to people and i say i look at your situation i'm not looking for a place to insert myself i'm looking at opportunities to help you solve a dilemma or fill a role that needs to be filled okay. john serves as a fiduciary as, okay, which is what a guardian not just a well. guardian He's not a right. guardian yeah. so people who have more modest estates simple estates where we can't justify it from a corporate perspective i have no hesitation whatsoever to call john up and go hey i need you to talk to this this attorney or this family member so i just want to make sure that's clear i kind of dominated the 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 trust side of the conversation
0: okay so um in the document uh it's in the document now you guys don't be saying document in the evaluation towards the bottom there's a little place you can put a check mark that says i would like a consultation or a phone call from so and so about If you want us to follow up with you and put you in touch with one of these guys, you can write that in. Our assistant, Naomi, will make that connection for you. If you prefer to reach out to them directly, all their contact information is over there on that far table on that wall. As you go out, you'll want to pick up materials from all the sponsors. Don't miss that table back in that corner. Did you guys have a good day? All right, nothing more time today.